Good evening and welcome to Know Yourself. This is Dan Udell and I've got a very special guest today. I'm here with Sam Thomas. Uh, Sam is a Huffing Post contributor. He's also the founder of a charity called Men Get Eaten Disorders 2. He's previously suffered with bulimia and he's also recently been diagnosed with uh, <coughs> emotionally unstable personality disorder. Hi Sam, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Good, good. So, <clears throat> really, every time I have a guest on the show, I kind of uh, I ask them a little bit about their origin story. So, you know, how how did you um, you know how did you find out um, that you had bulimia? Um, you know, what's what's the origin story there? Because I think that's really key to your story. interesting it's interesting because like that has um it's it's weird how sometimes there's like strands that connect different things um like I've got PTSD and it's interesting like I've begun to realize that I'm the person the kind of person that has always kind of avoided problems um like in my life like if anything bad happens I kind of bury my head in the sand and it's really interesting because, like, the PTSD that I've got is kind of like the characterization of that avoidance that I've always really had, but it didn't come out until I was assaulted when I was, like, 16. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of what I found, you know, in recent times, you know, throughout my 20s, for instance, you know, um, you know, I was, you know, completely free from bulimia. Um, I 
kind of say now that, you know, I had Bolivia between the age of 13 and roughly about the age of 20 and 21. And throughout my 20s, I was quite stable. Then as soon as I hit 30, for me to come and hit 30, just various events that happened in my life um, sort of just pushed me over the edge, quite literally. And, you know, running a charity as well and, you know, life in general and all these different issues. And I guess sometimes it just snowballs over the years, sort of quietly in the background and sort of probably emerges its, you know, its head, as it were, later on in life. And I think... Um, that's something I can definitely relate with. Interesting. In my, you know, in my situation, if that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. So, so the bulimia, it, it, it came as a result of bullying in school. So what happened yeah. after that? Um, well, the bulimia continued. Um, in fact, it probably got worse in many ways because, you know, I, I, you know, throughout school, you know, I was meant to, um, you know, achieve really good GCSE results. I started off school um, in all the top sets. And to be honest with you, because I trained so much in school, uh, but I avoided the lessons I'm not going to school at all um, when I can get away with it. So therefore, my grades suffered. So when I left school, um, it, you know, I was just a total failure, really. I had no, I wasn't going to college, uni, forget about it. Um, yeah. you know, prospects, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so I just, I guess, in, in many ways, just ended up um, sort of taking out on myself even more because of the way that bullying has made me feel. And of course, you know, the bulimia, you know, was just my way of kind of, um, I don't know, it just it sort of it just became almost like, you know, the way I describe it now is almost like a full time job with overtime. You know, it was just all consuming, so there wasn't room for anything else. Right. So. Yeah, I'm thinking back into those days, you know, I kind of felt as though I was just really existing, really, in many ways. Yeah. Um, so it was quite a dark time, and, you know, you know, the future is very uncertain for me. Yeah. From 16 onwards. Mm. It, it becomes all-consuming, and you almost don't have a life, or the little slithers that you do have, it's like, like, say you you have like a couple of good moments and then you kind of almost get back to being back in the dark place that you were so yeah and I think for me it was almost like continuously in that dark place you know issues at home you know I didn't particularly get on with my mother there was a lot of issues there and so you know my life throughout my you know childhood and teenage years was highly unstable so Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, when we talk about evil disorders, often we talk about, you know, being in control, for instance, and I think there's a certain irony about that, because, you know, if anything, life is totally out of control, quite chaotic even, so I, that's, you know, kind of the kind of nature of evil disorders in many ways. Interesting. That is really interesting. So, what what if any support mechanisms did you have did did family and friends understand what was going on or was it <clears throat> sorry excuse me was it all a secret oh it's totally a secret i mean that's the nature of um bulimia in particular um there's no obvious signs or symptoms really um so for instance with anorexia you know obviously people would lose weight and at some eventual stage it would become 
not necessarily obvious at the Rang Exit, but they're losing quite a lot of weight in the real, for whatever reason. So that automatically rings the alarm bells. But with bulimia, you know, people don't lose weight and they certainly don't gain weight necessarily. So what that means is it's very hidden, it's very secretive, as I say. So therefore, no one necessarily notices. And if you're, the only obvious sign, really, I guess, is self-isolating um, and just being very um, not engaged with other people around you, friends, family, what have you. So the signs aren't necessarily that obvious of anything in particular. It just says that there's something going on. Um, Interesting. So therefore, in my situation, yeah, I, you know, it's just my, my sort of secret. I should also mention as well that I didn't know I had bulimia, and that might seem a bit strange because I thought it was something that I only did. Yeah. You know, it's almost like something I thought I invented even. You know, I literally yeah. thought the uh, same about my PTSD. I thought I was the only person in the world that had it. Yeah. In fact, you know, I didn't think of it as an illness. I didn't think it was causing me harm. And I actually came to learn I had bulimia through reading Agony Aunt columns in one of my mum's magazines when I was around about 15. And um, it was actually reading a letter from a single mother who was split from her partner. Um, and she had three kids, if I remember rightly, and she was really not coping. So what she did was binged and purge at night. Now, obviously, I didn't relate with her situation at all, being the age that I was, but obviously I related with the um, behaviours. And that's how I came to learn that, you know, what I was... Um, kind of these sorts of behaviours was actually bulimia. Wow. So it's quite unusual how I came uh, to learn. Yeah. Yeah, because I... Quite so, unusual. Yeah. Like, uh, the days when the internet was easily accessed to forget about social media fascinating yeah it's it's just it's so great that you're able to find out because some people they it, they get le- a lot later on in life and they find oh, out through therapy yeah. or absolutely i mean i know some people from that i've worked with over the years in the therapy you know the people you know men that are, are like mid 40s 50s and are only just joining up the dots and actually realizing that they've had an eating disorder for quite a number of years um and, you know, more often than not, you know, it's not just the eating disorder, but it's other mental health problems as well. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I think, and also, as I'm sure, we'll, we'll, you know, which is obvious to say, that obviously when we think about eating disorders, you know, we tend to think of a female issue anyway. So there are quite a number of barriers. Yeah. Sort of prevent, really, from people identifying their disorder problems, let alone get to the point where they can actually get support. I mean, so, yeah. We were talking beforehand, and I said that I couldn't. When I was looking at your website, I couldn't believe that the there was such a thing like as uh, men having eating disorders. It it just never uh, crossed my mind at all, and I thought that that was. Absolutely. It yeah, was, and you know, to tell you a bit of background about that. 
backgrounds even. Yeah. Um, I actually, once I was kind of a bit more, you know, on the road to recovery with my bulimia, um, I actually did some online searches when I was probably about 20, if I remember rightly, fully expecting there to be something out there for men to be disordered, and there was absolutely nothing at all. But the only, the only sites that I could find were actually blogs from men who were anorexic, very extremely unwell, who all just happened to be in the States, and they were just like the only ones, really. And I did make contact. And, um, you know, it just seemed that, you know, a bit strange to me, because it didn't really occur to me necessarily that, 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 that you know, that the, it just wasn't expected for you to have any sort of as a man. And um, I kind of knew there were very few, but I didn't think it was that unusual. And it was only really when around that time I began talking about it with um, friends and also family and also get involved in volunteering projects like the mental health charity that I was involved in where I spoke about my experience and um, I used to tell um, professionals in these workshops and speeches that I used to deliver that hi my name is Sam and I had um, bulimia and always, there was always that feeling to be you know that shock and you know and that always sort of bothered me is this why is that and so you know I, I guess in some ways I think through these different um, kind of just encountering that, that sort of um, reaction, I guess, time and time again, kind of what ultimately led to the website and the charity. Yeah. So that that was actually one of my questions. It was it was exactly that. So, you know, what was the inception? So, it was it was obviously a sort of snowball effect of finding out that it was you know, not a common thing, and also, you know, you really having a passion for raising awareness, so, mm. you know, mm. what what's it like, you know, day-to-day, uh, like, running this, like, how did you get it off the ground, and really, you know, start raising awareness? Well, to be honest with you, it was kind of all quite potential, really, because, um, you know, I had the idea to set up a website to address that gap, that I mentioned, um, and I had no idea necessarily what it, what what the specifics were going to be. All I kind of knew is I was going to tell my story, and you know have a bit of information and links to support. But of course, like all ideas, it kind of evolved and, and became totally something else. And um, as other people uh, became involved, you know what I mean. It, it, it sort of became um, obvious that it needed to be more than just a website. It needed um, you know, a charity in its own right that was able to get the services and the training, uh, you know, for, uh, for professionals, and it got involved in quite a lot of media work. Um, so it just snowballed really and just became sort of a nice little pony in a certain sense because I think in the name as well, men get eating disorders too, instantly got people's attention. You kind of knew what it was about straight away. Yes. So that kind of helps. And, um, so, you know, thinking back to those sort of, that early, you know, early few months and that first year, you know, it kind of all happened quite organically, if that's the right word. So it wasn't really something that I planned or thought about too much about, to be honest. Yeah. And it, it just became obvious that it needed to be, um, you know, uh, something that, that kind of really sort of, kind of a, a way to engage with those 
men and also those that are afflicted by men abuse disorders such as their carers and partners, etc., um, and the family as a whole, and really just bringing people together to alleviate the isolation that was kind of just what everyone could relate with, really. You know, that feeling as though I'm the only one perhaps feeling alien or unusual in some sort of way, yes. and just feeling as though that they can speak about it and get support. Mm. So I want to go back to back in time for a minute. So back to that moment where you found that column, the you know agony art column, where you you're reading about bulimia for the first time. How did you feel after reading that? What was it like emotionally for you? Um, from what I remember, I think um, I think the sense of surprise, shock, even, and um, you know, I, I guess I wasn't really thinking anything about you know the impact that it was having on me. Because what I do remember is the, the response of the agony aunt, <coughs> sorry, agony aunt, was that she had explained the impact that bulimia can have, and it was all quite scary reading because it talked about cardiac arrest stomach rupturing and all kinds of scary things and ultimately death so it was quite um, well it, it just simply was very very serious but I think because of the way that I felt at that time the way that um, the bullies that made me feel in terms of the way my mental uh, mental state was it sort of had the opposite effect than what it should have had you know rather than thinking I've got to sort of tell someone get help or anything like that if anything it did the opposite and what I mean by that was that it gave the permission in which I could continue um, to self-harm really and um, I think the bleeding is that weapon so that, for that reason it sort of became worse and more intense and the episode of bleeding just, uh, just increased um, and became very regular interesting um, but again, you know, I, I was 15 and, and very damaged, really. So, you know, it, 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 it kind of makes sense looking back. So, you mentioned earlier as well, and um, I appreciate what you've just, everything you've just told me as well. Um, it's really insightful to hear, um, because every, everyone thinks, and even, this is me included, everyone thinks that, you know, writing an article or, you know, doing a, a podcast is like raising awareness and it's it's going to be the right thing to help. But, you know, not always. Like, some people are helped in different ways. Yeah. And I think with me, I think because, you know, I've been um, sort of um, not had any bulimia episodes for a good two, three years before I actually even began talking about it in a very public way, um, so I told my story in a couple of magazines, I think, was the first thing I ever did, yeah. um, in terms of raising awareness. So, you know, I think you needed that sort of period in which to reflect, really, on that experience and, and kind of really for your own well-being and to sort of protect yourself and, and just really, I don't know, really, just sort of do it in a safe way. Yeah. Um, so... Yes, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, it can have the opposite effect. You know, it's all very well having these um, awareness-raising days and weeks and months now. And But sometimes I think what's really important is that, you know, yes, it's all very well that people are, uh, you know, in the masses are hearing about it. But, of course, there are people all throughout there that will hear about 
where all kinds of different issues that are mental health related and they've got to know that you know that there is support out there and uh, you know the approaching that support when they feel ready to i think and in the way that they what makes it easy for them you know for some people it's you know not easy just going to the doctor and talking about something they've been suffering with for for as long as they potentially might remem- yeah, remember even so you know what I mean? So I think it's, I don't know, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, but I think it, you know, can evoke all sorts of different sort of reactions in different people, depending on where they're at, and how they're with their mental health. I think that's why this conversation is, like, so fascinating for me, because I, it one, it never crossed my mind that men get eating disorders, and... I, like I'm a man that likes my food and you know that sort of thing so like it it's like such an interesting thing for me in that sense and it's also so interesting like like say um just how different people consume content and how different people like I I am convinced that people have to be ready to hear a message and like it was very much yeah. that way for me like I wasn't I wasn't ready for counselling until I was, like, my back was up against the wall and, like, it was, like, I've got to choose this now because the other thing doesn't look so great. Like, I just think that's really interesting. And I guess the thing that I'm interested in now is you spoke about the road to recovery. So when did things start to get better for you, Sam? You know, living in with family that 
were not necessarily aware of what was going on. Now I had some issues around food and my weight, and there were some obvious telltale signs, but nothing that screamed eat disorder. And uh, you know, my dad definitely didn't necessarily uh, realise that that was the problem. So yeah, I mean, it's all a bit vague in my memory now because it's quite some years ago. But yeah, I think you know interesting that is um it's really amazing how changing your environment like that was such a catalyst yeah. for you then not to say that works for everybody you know obviously the problems do go with you wherever you go um but i just think for me i guess partly because the age that i was as well um that sort of helped and you know just sometimes that's just the way life works out really yeah so um my my next question is really you've you've obviously worked with a lot of uh different men and probably women that have uh, suffered with eating disorders what would you say to someone if you met them now who suffers with bulimia and they they want to make a change they want things to be different and they're just starting to get some sort of awareness that something might not be right what would you say to them Uh, that's incredible I, I know you you don't think you've uh, you just you said you could have worded that better but in, in my eyes that was brilliant like <laughs> that's great uh, like I say I, I don't I don't know a great deal about what I was, what I was trying to get at as well actually is that you know there is there's no sort of one way to do it 
you know what I mean? And I think sometimes people might say this is the way you do it. You know, feed the GP or, or approach that service or phone that helpline. And actually just think about the options. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, because I think once you're aware of what the options are, then you can make a more informed decision about what is helpful to you. Yeah. Because, you know, I think that's what most important. And I got it wrong, you know, later in life, you know, with my other more recent issues, you know, sometimes you feel that you've got to be skilled and really got to do that. And actually, you know, you've got to think about are these, these you know, sometimes what, what might seem obvious to do isn't necessarily the most helpful. Um, so it's, it's good to, <coughs> as I say, just take the time. Yeah. You're not pressure yourself or feel pressured by other people. Because um, I know family and friends might be massively concerned and worried. So just, you know, again, just as long as you're talking and explaining what is going on, you know, I think that can just be helpful as a first step. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, f- for me to, like, add, I guess, my two cents... Um, uh, like sort of joining Twitter and uh, becoming part of that like sort of community um, really helped me because I was literally able to jump into the search feature of like Twitter and type in like PTSD or anxiety and be able to like look at tweets that like you know I saw a, I remember seeing a tweet once about like um, someone uh, being at a train station and being really freaked out and I was like oh my god that was me like five years ago <laughs> so it's like you, there's, to add to what Sam said like social networks like Twitter and Facebook and you know some Instagram as well you know, can absolutely. be really helpful, you know, and they can be really unhelpful as well that is uh, the sort of downside but you know and just to talk about, I know it's a slightly different subject but you know I've recently diagnosed with personality disorder so I've actually done exactly the same with Twitter yeah. And actually sort of just looked around what's going on in the, the personality disorders sort of world. And, you know, I find that quite helpful. Yeah. Just reading different blogs and <clears throat> encouraged me to write um, my own articles, for instance, in the Huffington Post. And, you know, I wasn't really expecting to do that, to be honest. But I think just by reading um, what other people um, and their experiences sort of just enabled me to do that, really. So I think that's quite important. Absolutely. And, um, I kind of knew that already because I've done that in a, with me only those nice actuality, but it's good to be reminded of that in a, in a slightly in a different issue, but still mental health related. I think that's that's one of the you know the um, positive sort of um, aspects of social media. It does sort of bring people together that might not necessarily be able to step out the door and go to a support group, for instance, or absolutely whatever. So, yeah. yeah. So. I'm so glad that you brought that up. So let's let's talk a little bit about so you earlier uh, this year you were diagnosed with emotionally unstable personality disorder. What what is it? How does it affect you? And can you yeah just tell us a little bit about it? Well, emotionally unstable personality disorder um is also the name for borderline personality disorder and I must admit I'm still learning all of this. Okay. Um, remotely going to pretend to be an expert. No, that's fine. Um, so, I might get this convicted and some of it's slightly wrong, but as I understand it at the moment, you know, it's the same diagnosis. It was just put to me as <coughs> emotionally unstable personality disorder. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, it's probably what I've always had. And 
it's actually linked to trauma in childhood. Um, that's sort of the consensus theory. Um, and feeling sort of emotionally unvalidated, which sounds a bit strange, but I guess what, what I've found out through you know, my reading and speaking with people is that it's when you're a child and say, for instance, um, you might have a parent or family member of some, of some sort saying, stop crying or what you're acting out for or, you know, go to your family if you're upset or something like that. And, you know, that can sort of, um, just as an example, can kind of make you feel emotionally unmeditated, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so what that means is you kind of feel as though you're not able to express emotions. So what that also means, later on in life, usually in um, adulthood, what can happen is though you feel as though you can't express your emotions, but when you do, it comes in terms of outbursts. So, you know, it could be feeling extremely depressed and suicidal, for instance, or extremely angry and acting out on it and self-harming. So it's not nearly a mild difference to bipolar um, in that respect, you know, the ups and downs, but with borderline personality disorder, personality disorder even, or emotionally unstable personality disorder, it's, you know, it's ever-changing, sort of like up, down, um, well, basically speaking about up and down, I think you've done. I think you've done a great job articulating it. Um, I, I didn't. And I, I think people were explaining it quite differently. I think that's what I'm also realising as well with personality disorders. You know, they can be quite controversial actually the diagnosis because there is lots of different points of view and perspectives on based on people's experiences. So it's kind of quite open in many ways. And you know, it's not just perfect, you know, borderline personality disorder. There are quite a number of other personality disorders as well. And so it's again, uh, it's a bit of a minefield area, but you know, it just shows the complexity of mental health. You know, There's quite a stigma attached to uh, borderline personality disorder. I remember I read your article on Huffington Post, and you said you mentioned that. Uh, people with borderline personality disorder can sometimes be described as manipulative. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, instantly when I did some online searches, you know, sort of, you know, there is this sort of sense that people with borderline personality disorder can be so emotional, um, you know, can that can sort of come across as attention seeking and sort of quite demanding and sort of manipulative, you know, and actually it's just. The, you know, the characteristics of the illness and the traits of the illness, do you see what I mean? And so they can be misread as very negative 
um, in that way. But equally, you know, I've read some articles and spoke to a few people who talk about it in a, in a very positive way, because I think where people are very emotional, they're very sort of in tune with people, other people when they're emotional for whatever reason. So actually, some people say, actually, if somebody was called one person, that sort of can be very, you know, supportive and, and you know, empathic and you see what I mean? So, yes. you know, there are some sort of positive aspects in a weird kind of way. I mean, it's like someone said to me about once, you know, with bipolar, you know, tend, people with bipolar tend to be very sort of outgoing, very confident, very creative, and so there are positives to mental health. I love, I love that you mentioned that because um, I, I really, I really do like that you mentioned that because um, it, it's it's not all negative. Like I, I literally think that like when I was assaulted when I was sixteen was the best thing that ever happened to me. Literally, like I'm so glad I'm in the spot I'm in now because, like, I I wouldn't I wouldn't know who I am without that happening to me because I ended up going into therapy and finding out who I am and all that sort of stuff and absolutely and you know it's true it's like you know just even from the past couple of articles I've done past the post it's interesting to me how friends of mine that have known me for a long time do feel quite able to talk about stuff that they would not normally talk about that's great you know particularly people that I'm friends with but perhaps in a more professional capacity you know what I mean so you know it really goes to show that it's really quite important to just kind of talk about it in a very normal way um and you know i've been just very honest with people you know i've always i've always been quite honest <laughs> so you know i think to me that's all part of my own sort of recovery in a way yeah because you know i think it's to keep it all quite concealed and to yourself and keep it all very secretive and what have you i think that just sort of i don't really find that really that helpful yes Yes. So, with regards to the sort of the lead up to your your diagnosis, how did that happen? Which what the latest diagnosis? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good question. How did it happen? I think it's just a a very long story cut short. It's all right. Totally. So you know, I just became very unstable. Um, you know, just wasn't coping, and uh, you know, I found myself, you know, sort of not really eating very much and drinking a little too much and you know it just sort of you know I stopped going to the gym after four years of probably going to the gym and you know so many things don't necessarily scream and anything particularly serious but just all I did up kind of showing that I was not coping and I think other people noticed that eventually and you know I think just it got to a point where you know I just ended up um, in hospital ultimately um, but you know it could have been avoided I guess but you know it's just the way that things work out sometimes you do have to get to that crisis point yes. before you um, get the help you need I didn't necessarily think it was anything that was a mental health related issue anything more than perhaps depression or anxiety um, so I didn't really necessarily think that you know it warranted anything more than going to the doctor and you know, being asked about menstruation, you know, I just thought it was something um, a bit more straightforward in that way. Interesting. Um, but actually, it turns 
that it wasn't, you know, when they when I was in hospital, they did do a bit more probing and exploring when I was there. You know, it just became increasingly obvious that you know it was actually um, an underlying mental health problem that you know that was that diagnosis, you know, personality disorder. So. And it was just fortunate that I kind of knew a little bit about personality disorders anyway, from working in mental health for, you know, 10 plus years. Um, but yeah, I was, I, it was quite um, a surprise, but on the other hand, once I read a bit more into it and just reminded myself of a few things and learned a heck of a lot more, um, you know, it, it was just really pretty obvious, really, that, you know, that was the diagnosis. What was the prescribed course of action after that like? So you get the diagnosis. Yeah, and it's still quite it's up in the air, to be honest with you. Um, it's, you, know, it's, you know, unfortunately, personality disorders are quite difficult to, to treat um, <clears throat> because, you know, the, the kind of very nature of the disorder is, 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 you know, you're emotionally up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, so, you know, antidepressants can work, mood stabilizers can work. Obviously, um, therapy definitely does work in a DBT, which I know incredible about. But I know that is very particularly helpful for people with borderline personality disorder, emotionally unstable personality disorder. Um, although, unfortunately, you know, it's not easily available on the NHS, if available at all, depending where you are. Yes. So, you miss the usual story. So, you know, I think I'm kind of really at that starting point in terms of treatment. In fact, I'm, in two days' time, I'm going to start group work for emotional intensity. Um, Great. And that really is the first proper step, really, in terms of treatment. So it'll take a little while. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, you know, I've been sort of just seeing what, what, what is available um, and just trying to try and access what I can, really. Absolutely. I really, I really like that. Um, I I really value and respect your attitude towards this. I like that you go away and read up on it, and I like that you know you're trying the group stuff. You know, because some people would be yeah. wanting just the one to ones therapy. Like, I I really yeah I really value and respect that. Absolutely, you've got your practical. You think, you know, I kind of somebody told me that you know. You know, personality disorder. You know, I, I did embrace the diagnosis initially. I was like, "What, really?" <laughs> um, you know, which I guess is to be expected if you're not really expecting it. But you know, I kind of thought, well, it doesn't really matter really what the diagnosis is. It doesn't really matter the name for the label. It's even it's just a, a common set of symptoms that just describe what you're going through, really. And of course, people relate with that quite differently. After all, it's all individual. So, to me. You know that was a, a relief, and, um, and more importantly, uh, you know, a gateway or a starting point to making sense of what previously I couldn't make sense of. Yes. If you think of it that way, so you know that's why you know I've, I've sort of been quite, you know, open arms really in terms of what treatment is available. Yes, knowing it's limited, but nevertheless, you know, you've got to make the most of what is available. I think. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to, you know, your charity, Men Getting Eating Disorders too. what are the types of services that that charity offers out to, you know, men that are suffering with an eating disorder? Well, 
generation, um, goes without saying, you know, the personal stories on the website of Gay Health, and that's the most popular part of the site. Um, in support, which at the moment, you know, we do offer uh, groups in South Eastern London, um, not further afield as yet. Um, so in a nutshell, that's kind of it in training as well for professionals. That's uh, another, you know, big part of our work. And um, of course, they're on the front line, they're the ones supporting um, men um, who are suffering as well as the care and family members. So, you know, just educating them um, and better equipping them, giving them the tools to be able to do that is all, you know, it's, it's really important. Um, so that's kind of a nutshell what we kind of offer, really. Interesting. It's a very small charity as well, she mentioned. So, no, um, that. We do quite a bit, I think, for a small charity. But there is also organisations like Beat we're the leading sort of charity um, who do offer helplines and online peer support groups um, so they're another good sort of organisation to look into and how's that spelled sorry BEAT which is B-E-A-T B-E-A-T cool B-E-A-T and eating disorder okay so another leading charity so it's probably a good good one for anyone that is affected for men women um that's great it's, it's always uh, I, I always really value finding out about new charities and you know uh, leading ones as well um, so yeah that's great really appreciate that um, yeah. I'm kind of interested so you know you've, you, your charity's been going a little while I bet you've heard some stories of people you know have you had people get in touch to say you know the information that you gave or this course that I went on has helped in some way. What's the feedback been like for you? Um, yeah, I think there are regular reminders of, of the impact that the charities had and, and often, more often than not, you know, quite sort of out of blue really, and quite surprisingly. Um, I think that the overall sort of response I think it's safe to say it's just the relief that there is something out there for me, that I'm not the only one. Um, you know, I think that, you know, just it's overwhelming me, um, the, the sort of, as I say, the response that we get. Um, and I think for professionals as well, because I think often they might be working with someone or suspect that someone they're working with has to be manly, sort of men don't know what to do, and you might think, but they're a man, we used to, you know, this issue with younger women, you know, so I think that can also help, you know, knowing that, you know, and just enabling them really to sort of, you know, kind of work on their services being quite inclusive, so that, you know, more men can come forward and access, you know, their groups and drop-ins or whatever it is they might offer. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, Therefore, I think that it, we've always had um, quite a lot of support and, and positive sort of responses. That's um, great. We do, so we do address that gap. Um, unfortunately, we can't cover you know the entire country the way that we'd like to in terms of service delivery, but yeah, at least we can do our bit to support that. That's great. And you know, what's what's it been like? You know, now that you've, you know, now that you've had your diagnosis, you know. Uh, your most recent one, in fact, you know, what's that been like, um, like talking to family? Have you had to, you know, explain, um, 
you know what it's like for the for you to them so they can you know be empathetic towards your needs like what's that been like kind of happy for you in a way that you've you know you've you've got a, a diagnosis and can work towards like you know fulfillment in life Yeah, it's all right. It, yeah. You're still formulating your opinions and yeah, fact finding. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely understand that. So, um. You've been a Huffington Post contributor for quite a number of years now. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I think it's five years. I'm not really sure. Wow, five um, years. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've written and given interviews to media for as long as I can possibly remember, to be honest. But, you know, Huffington Post is quite good. I think, you know, you can tell, you know, your story... Uh, Yeah. 
how many articles would you say off the top of your head that you've been able to publish, or uh, is there too many to count? Actually, I think it's 20, maybe. Okay, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> you've just been been writing away. <laughs> yeah, that's great, and you've also been on uh, some TV shows and documentaries as well, haven't you? Mm. Yeah, um, quite a few of them actually. Recently, though. Um, yeah, I've, I think that's really important as well, you know, because I think you know what really is helped get the message out there really is in part social media, but also just the media as a whole, and um, TV, radio, and new, you know, newspapers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Channel Four is great as well because they're quite yeah, like. You know, I'm a big fan of Channel Four, but you know, again, you know, it's, it's not biased. You know, they they do deal with taboo subjects. You know. Exactly. No problem at all. The so, yeah, I don't really watch it either, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not not really um, not really a big person like for TV. I'm more of a Netflix guy, to be honest. <laughs> don't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing out. Um. No, that's really good. Like, I really, um, I've just gotten into uh, blogging myself because, um, I sort of became increasingly aware that a lot of people, I don't know, a lot of people, uh, stumble upon like forums and blogs, and it's it's really interesting when you were talking about you know finding that article in a magazine. You know, the the sort of forums are kind of like, and articles in blogs now are like you know kind of like the new age magazines and you know i kind of realized that and that's why i started sort of blogging like um i think it was about a month ago i started um and i think there's you know that's why i do the podcast as well i just try and get it in different formats for people to hear because not everyone 
you know, like podcasters are still relatively new and just coming on, you know, so that different people are going to like different things, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes one of the benefits of podcasts, social media as a whole, is you're right i think i think there is um i think i think with the mainstream media there is like a tendency to like catch on to trends like you know um and things catch fire as it were because of that um these types of things like yeah I, I agree with that one is in your opinion is it good just to have awareness in general like is that more of a positive thing overall than than negative Hmm. 
Interesting. Well, that's everything from uh, from myself and Sam. And I just want to say, Sam, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's been um, it's been eye opening for me, to be honest, and it's been educational, and um, it's been. I would say it's been inspiring as well because of the different sort of like paradigms in my head that you shattered and hopefully you'll be able to uh, do the same for other people that listen to this and also hopefully help you know that one person that doesn't know what this you know what an eating disorder is or someone who's got it and you know is finally able to put a label to it and yeah just really appreciate your time today um so thank you for coming on the show so that's everything from us um this has been know yourself with dan udell and sam thomas until next time guys peace out